The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. Nick Olchek, really cool to talk with you. And I'm sure that for anyone listening, we're all very familiar with your father, Eddie Olchek. But I, I'm really excited to talk with you and to just get your story. Yeah, yeah. No, hey, uh, really appreciate you having me on. It's uh, it's awesome to be able to tell my story and uh, to be able to kind of take people uh, through the reasons why I, I do what I do and the reasons why I want to do what I want to do. Uh, but, uh, but no, first and foremost, appreciate you having me on. And, uh, it's, it's a busy schedule this time of the year for me, uh, with working down at, uh, for the Indy fuel as the, uh, the lead color analyst there working with Andrew Smith, the great play-by-play man. And also my, uh, my job at NBC sports Chicago, working in a behind the scenes type of role. So keeping busy, but always, always happy to, uh, to make some time for you and looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, definitely. So I'll, I'll kind of go back a little bit. So you actually played hockey in the USHL a little bit and a little bit in college. So I was curious if playing hockey professionally was kind of where you had your sights set, or did you know that broadcasting was in your future? That's a good question, Will. Uh, I think it's, it's something that uh, looking back in my life, I always kind of had a knack for wanting to announce and broadcast and be the play-by-play guy and be the color guy. Uh, I think it goes back to, you know, growing up, I played a good amount of video games. Uh, I still do in some of the, some of the free time that I have. Uh, but especially when I was younger, I found myself announcing as I played and, and it wasn't like, you know, I'm going into the game and I know that I'm going to announce. It just kind of came naturally to me. And, and I think it was just, you know, the way I describe it, it was just innate practice of announcing as I played. Now, I don't know if I enjoyed playing the games because I like playing video games or because I like to broadcast it and, you know, do the commentary as I played. Uh, and I just think it, I think it goes back to that. And, and you're right. I grew up playing hockey, started playing when I was about four or five years old and uh, was lucky enough to. Uh, at 16 years old, move out and go play at a, at a high level in junior hockey, play two years in the USHL with the Waterloo Blackhawks and the Chicago Steel. My third year, I went and played out in a junior league, the United States Premier Hockey League out in the Boston area, and then finished up my last year of junior hockey uh, in the uh, Duluth, Minnesota area, playing for the Minnesota Wilderness. So I guess you could say I was a bit of a suitcase in terms of my, in terms of my <laughs> junior career, was yeah. able to become pretty... Uh, geographically comfortable in terms of living in all those places and, and being able to play under a lot of different coaches and with different teammates. Uh, so I look back on it in a, in a very positive light and I'm absolutely at peace with my career. And obviously after my last year, my fourth year, fourth year of junior hockey, I went and played and was lucky enough to earn a scholarship at Colorado college, which is where I played division one hockey for, for two seasons. And, and it came to kind of a decision in my sophomore season where you know, playing time and, and things like that weren't, uh, you know, go exactly in the direction that I had hoped or that I, you know, felt that I was working for. And that's just the nature of the business. And uh, I made the decision to say, you know what, you know, and, and actually at, at CC, when I was going to college there, uh, they didn't even have a communications program. Like they didn't have a broadcasting program. They didn't have anything like, like that. I mean, it's a, it's a 2000 student liberal arts college. So, you know, not a ton of 
you know, exactly what I wanted to do, or at least what was going to be able to help me. And I, and I knew that going in, you know, I made a calculated decision to, to commit there and to play hockey. And the reason why I was going there was to play hockey. Uh, but, you know, talking with some advisors, I was actually in the process of, of developing what they had uh, known as an IDM independent design major. And so essentially I was combining theater, film and media, journalism, and English to compile those four subjects into some sort of a communications degree. So, and actually on the computer that I'm doing the laptop on, or they're doing the Zoom call on, I actually have the uh, the proposal that I had to write, over 6,000 word proposal, in which I was you know, drafting what these classes were, were going to be, how they were gonna help me, and how are they gonna kind of come together to be able to mold into an independently designed major. So you had to, you know, you had to write the reasons why you're doing these classes, uh, how they're going to mold together and what you're going to call, you know, essentially your major. And so I looked at it from a standpoint of, okay, well, a modern day media person, especially a broadcaster, uh, you have to be good in front of the camera, which is where theater comes into play. It's not exactly the same, but you know, you you get comfortable with performing in front of people. And you know, yeah, half of my theater class was memorizing lines, and in sports, as you know, well, you're not memorizing anything; it's just reading and reacting. Uh, but you know, there were, there was a lot of, you know, improv type of assignments and things that I just felt really helped me get even more comfortable, you know, dealing in front of people and, and being entertaining. And I think that that's kind of where I excel is making people laugh and keeping people entertained. Uh, and in terms of the film and media, you know, that's another aspect of knowing how to use the media that you're on, whether it be social media, knowing how to use cameras, if you're a journalist or a reporter, you know, you see a lot of reporters nowadays, it's it's a one man or one woman crew, like very, you know, kind of gone are the days where you have the reporter and then a camera guy or camera gal. It's it's the reporter. They have they set up their tripod with the camera and then they go. Uh, and then the, the the journalism and film in, or the journalism in English, that's developing your vocabulary, getting better with words. And then if you're a media person, you're asked to write an article. Well, you, you have some experience in writing. So I just felt that that was kind of the best way to go about it. And it was certainly a challenge. And I remember sitting down with my advisor at, at Colorado College at the time. And he said, Nick, this path is not for the faint of heart. Like, like it's you're going to have to draft a proposal. It's going to be lengthy. You're going to have to propose that to the board. And then they're going to either accept it or they're they're going to decline it, and then you got to do with what you can do after that. So uh, safe to say, it didn't eventually get to that point because I would have made that proposal in the summer going into my junior year, made a decision to leave uh, CC after my sophomore year. Uh, but I was fully prepared to to go ahead and do that. But I guess long winded kind of, I knew that I was going to school to play hockey, and I knew that they didn't have a program that was going to hopefully suit me eventually when I was done playing. Uh, but I tried to make the most of it. And uh, yeah, does it pain me to see the uh, 6,000 word proposal sitting on my desktop? Yeah, it does. And sometimes I'll go back and reminisce and, and, and uh, look back at some of the things. But I think it just kind of reaffirms that this is what I wanted to do because I was able to put in the work um, and, and put in the effort towards at least trying to get that done at the at the college level. Um, and, and just another thing, you know, along with, you know, broadcasting video games as I would, you know, I have a hard, I, I've always had a hard time watching hockey, especially as a fan. Uh, I watch it with a critical eye. I watch it to where, you know, I don't watch games on mute. I always try and make sure that I have the volume up to listen to what those broadcasters were saying, because while I'm analyzing the game as I'm watching, you know, what if I get to a spot where, you know, I don't have a verb to say, or I, I, not coming up with an adjective or I realized, Oh, I'm probably using the same adjective too much, too much. 
uh, maybe the broadcaster on TV says something. I say, oh, that's a, that's great. I'm going to use that. Or that makes you think of something else. So I'm kind of against watching games on mute uh, just because you're able to pick up so many things from the people that are ultimately doing it at the very highest level in, in the professional ranks. Um, so I, I think just it, it's it's always a constant broadcaster commentator type of thing. When I'm watching sports, it goes for hockey, goes for soccer, goes for baseball, all my favorite sports. Um, and a lot of my teammates would tell you now, you know, full disclosure, you can, all you need to go is look at my hockey stats. I was never the star studded player. I was never the highly touted prospect and never put up a bunch of points. I do pride myself on having been a great teammate, uh, having worked extremely hard and treated everybody with respect. And I'd like to think that my former teammates and current friends would be able to, uh, reciprocate that and, and tell you the same. Um, and there were, especially in college, a lot of games where I was sitting up in the, uh, the nest is what we called it, where the, uh, the healthy scratches and the guys who weren't playing, that's where they would sit. And oftentimes you would find me, I have a, a little notebook here. Uh, you'd find me with the, uh, with the game program kind of up over my mouth like this. Okay. I would watch the games with, with the program over my mouth. And for those who might be listening, I'm holding up the, uh, the notepad to my mouth, kind of covering it. So other people aren't, aren't able to see what I would do is when my team was, when my college team was playing, I would broadcast the game. So it, it wasn't, you know, I would, you know, look, I'd love to be out there. Yeah. I'd love to be out there and blocking shots, hitting guys. And, you know, I'm probably not scoring goals because that was never my forte, but um, you know, being out there on the ice, because at the end of the day, you're right. It goes back to what you said at the very beginning, when you're a hockey player and you play at a high level, the goal is to make it to the NHL. And you realize the older you get, the more levels you go up, it's a pyramid and there's only a select few guys, a select percentage that are able to make it. So I just tried to take every opportunity I could. And I think that's kind of where I'm going right now is I took every opportunity that I could, whether it was playing video games or sitting on a couch, watching sports, or when I was scratched and I wasn't playing broadcasting the games of my teammates when they were playing, I think all of that kind of cultivated in uh, what I'm doing right now and, and hopefully where I want to be, which at one day is a broadcaster in the national hockey league. Yeah, I love that. That's really cool to hear. And, you know, it's funny, the video game thing. It's so relatable. I yeah. I think I did the same thing, yeah. playing games and kind of not even thinking about it, kind of like doing like the broadcasting yeah. thing on my own. And, so and, a, funny, totally and cool. a funny story, I will say, because I used to have uh, my video games set up down in the basement, which is where my brother Tommy's room is. Now he's he's been moved out for quite some time. But, uh, you know, when we were younger, I would you know, broadcast those games when as I was playing. And, you know, I you're a fellow gamer, you know, all hours of the day you're gaming, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's a long day. You, you maybe don't start playing until 11 or 12 and you're playing a game that you enjoy. There's a good chance you're going to be playing till two, three, you know, maybe even three 30 in the morning. And so I'd be broadcasting those games. And, you know, were there a couple of times where my brother, Tommy opened the door to find me, you know, celebrating a goal or, or scream. <laughs> and I wouldn't say scream at the top of my lungs, but certainly being loud at two 30 in the morning when he's trying to sleep. There were a couple of those times and yeah, there were a couple of pillows thrown my way, uh, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all in good fun. And and I think it's, it's uh, extremely relatable, which is what you're saying. And that, you know, it's just kind of that, you know, you're playing the game, you like, enjoy, you enjoy the game part of it, but it's being able to really feel the immersion. And that's when you're actually broadcasting and uh, having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, definitely. And you know, that, that this, this is why I like doing these podcasts, because I love picking the brain and learning like just already, like what you were saying was so cool as far as kind of putting together kind of what your major would have been or, you know, that degree. And, and also, you like you said, you're playing hockey, but then you were already kind of thinking ahead to what you might get into. So really cool how you kind of help bring that plan together. And I mean, just like any, just like any person, you might have a plan, but you better have yeah a backup plan yeah. or just something to 
you know, be able yeah. to fall into. Yeah, exa- into. exactly. And, and, it, and it, it's, it's, you know, like I said, I started playing when I was four or five and, and obviously I'd be the first one to tell you, you know, I had a father who played 16 years in the national hockey league, uh, was a coach for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's been a broadcaster for the last 14 or 15 years at the highest level. Uh, you know, there's a decent amount of pressure when you're growing up and, and trying to follow in the footsteps. And, you know, as a player, I, like I said, I always tried to work my hardest. Uh, I'd like to think I was, I was a great teammate, um, and, and just the skill level. And, you know, I, I think we all look back and we regret certain things. I, I wish I would have shot more pucks this day, or I wish I would have done an extra rep in the weight room this day. But, you know, I just think at the end of the day, playing wasn't in the cards. And I always felt, I always knew that when I was done playing, this is what I wanted to do. Because I had a I had a mature understanding from a young age that you know what there's very few guys that even make it to the National Hockey League that when they call it quits they're able to live off the money that they earned during their career and you're talking about the top two or three percent you know you're looking at Crosby and Ovechkin and Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves and Drew Doughty I mean these guys who have amassed an incredible uh, fortune in their career rightfully so because they're the best at what they do you know only those guys if they want don't have to work a day after they play their last game. But, you know, for guys who make under a million dollars, the guys, you know, who may have a lavish lifestyle and they make one, two, three, four million dollars, uh, which, hey, I mean, I'd take that, I'd take that in our feet. I'm sure you would and <laughs> right, all of our right. listeners would as well. But I guess what I'm getting at is I always knew that when I was done playing, whether I played pro or not, I knew what I wanted to do and what I wanted to transition into. Um, and, and it was really realized after my second year at college, uh, it was the biggest decision I ever had to make was to stop playing, uh, freshman year, you know, you're a, you're a young guy in a, on a college team. Uh, you're a rookie, you know, cause it's funny. Cause in the game of hockey, you go to juniors, right. And most guys, you know, I would say most guys play three or four years of junior hockey. Uh, you know, your first year, you're a rookie second year, you know, you're earning that status third year, fourth year. And then you're one of the veterans, you're a veteran. And then you go to college and then you're a rookie again, your freshman year. And obviously all that comes with that picking up the pucks and putting the laundry in the laundry room and, and, you know, all the rookie duties. Uh, so, you know, your freshman year, when you're not a highly thought after prospect, uh, and a guy who, you know, maybe has been drafted or a guy who put up incredible numbers, uh, you know, you just understand that, you know, as a freshman, I'm not going to play a lot. And it's the same thing in basketball and football and baseball. And I, and I just kind of understood that, yeah, I know I'm not going to get a bunch of playing time. And I think I played six games my freshman season. And then I said, hey, okay, well, Hey, sophomore year, I'm going to play more and junior year. I'm going to play more. And then senior year, I'm going to be playing every game. Uh, and then it got to sophomore year and, you know, things just, like I said, kind of weren't going in the direction that I had hoped. Uh, and, uh, you know, no hard feelings with anybody. I, I have the, uh, maturity now to be able to look back on my career and say, was I the best player? Did I deserve to play in every game at Colorado college at the division one level? Probably not. Uh, although, you know, we all are, we all have pride and we all have a little bit of an ego when we want to, we want to get out there because we want to help the team. But, you know, I came to grips with that and I understood. And, and like I said, the toughest decision I've had to make in my life was uh, after the end of my, at the end of my sophomore year at Colorado college, understanding that, well, if I'm here to play hockey and the hockey part of it is not coming to fruition, like I hoped I better be getting the education that is going to help me with what I want to do after hockey. And as I discussed earlier, that really wasn't the case. So it's sort of a double whammy kind of, what are you doing here? So uh, I respect so many people at CC I made some great friends, both faculty, coaching staff, teammates. That I still keep in touch with to this day. And it's crazy to believe now that I've been out of school for two years the guys that were in my freshman class are now graduating. 
So it's, I've been, been sure to, to keep tabs on them and whatnot, but I think to the heart of your question, I always knew what I wanted to do. Though I was on a path and I loved playing, I knew that at one point the playing days were going to come to an end. And then at that point, what do you want to do when you're done? I felt very fortunate and blessed to know what I wanted to do because I feel bad for a lot of guys, whether they're grinding it out in the minor leagues or guys that are in college, when they're done, they don't really know what they want to do. So you know, I'm certainly very fortunate yeah. to know exactly what I want to do and, and have a clear vision of uh, hopefully how to get there. Yeah, definitely. And I know that you're your own person and with your own story, but I can definitely see and kind of hear Eddie like in you. <laughs> so I think it's really cool. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, in general, though, yeah, I think it's just really cool that you're able to kind of figure that out. And now you have a success, successful career and that you're, you know, just getting started. in. basically, you're still young and you're still going to keep going and, you know, getting into new things. But breaking new heights but um yeah so and obviously it was very cool seeing that tweet of you broadcasting the individual yeah. with your father and of course andrew smith who does a play-by-play yeah. uh so how did that experience come about um i mean i'm, I'm sure it was a tremendous yeah. you know opportunity getting to do that with him yeah. yeah it was uh i think that's one of those moments where eventually when i'm 70 years old and my parents are you know hopefully you know likely probably not can still be around but uh you can look back on and you can really cherish that moment um, to share something like that. And I, and I know I said this in my tweet, but I, I, to be able to work with your idol, that's special. Okay. To, to work with somebody who you have admired, it doesn't matter what profession it is, broadcasting, or you're growing up a professional athlete, you're a baseball player and you really, really look up to Anthony Rizzo. And then maybe you find yourself on a team with him, you know, when he's towards the end of his career, it's no different than going into a job and you admire someone and then you're eventually able to work alongside them. Uh, that's special, but to be able to work with your father, to work with a parent, somebody who you, who you look up to so much is, was truly the highlight of my career so far. And with all that I hope to achieve, we'll certainly remain at the, the top uh, for, for the foreseeable future. And, uh, so it was actually something that we discussed last year. Uh, we were sitting around the dinner, dinner table at home. It was my mom, my sister, Alexandra, my dad and I, and we just kind of started talking as we have a lot of conversations at the dinner table. And he said, it'd be kind of fun to do a broadcast with you and maybe show you up a little bit. And I said, Oh, you know, I don't know about the latter, but you know, the, for the former definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, that'd be, That'd be kind of cool. And we kind of laughed it off at first. And then 15 or 20 minutes later, I'm like, that'd be pretty cool. Like, let's see what we can do. And so uh, we reached out to the Indy Fuel organization who have just been incredible in my career, giving me my start in broadcasting. And Jim Hallett, the incredible owner, and Larry McQuarrie, the, the two guys who are the brass of the Indy Fuel, of the ECHL, have been just tremendous in my career and allowing me to do what I want to do alongside, as you had said earlier, Andrew Smith has been truly a professional, incredible first, you know, real play-by-play partner for me. Uh, you know, all of those people in the fuel organization have been uh, incredible. I'm so grateful for them. Uh, and, and so when we kind of had that idea, we, we brought it to, to Larry McQuarrie and Jim Hallett and immediately they were on board. Uh, but we just couldn't make it work last season because then COVID came and obviously the world we knew was, was long gone. So, uh, it was in the cards. We were kind of sitting on it and trying to find a, a day that would work. And, and April 9th was that day. Uh, and it was a it was a pretty crazy busy week for both my dad and I. Uh, there, was, there, was a, there was a Chicago Blackhawk game on Tuesday, a Blackhawk game on Thursday, 
and another Blackhawks game on Saturday. So my dad's schedule was busy. And for all the Blackhawk games, I work at NBC Sports Chicago as well as sort of a behind the scenes. I work with a software called Libero. And what I do is it's a telestration tool. So basically, I'm able to add arrows and graphics and tracking type of symbols and nameplates to help illustrate you know, what goes on in the game. And usually I'll break down a 30 or 40 second clip of a goal that a player scores. And my illustrations will take the viewer through uh, visually what, what led up to the goal. You know, what transpired in the defensive zone that allowed the team to get out of their zone and to score the goal? Or, you know, what does this player do on the forecheck that allows him to get possession, find his teammate, and then what does the teammate do to score? So it's just a, it's an illustration type tool that I've been very fortunate to, to have worked with. This is my second year working at NBC Sports Chicago under John Shipman and Kevin Anderson and uh, uh, Kevin Cross. Everybody over at the NBC team have been, uh, I'm also very grateful for those guys as well. And uh, so it was a busy week for both of us. And I actually had an Indy Fuel game on that Wednesday on the seventh. So for me, it was Hawks Tuesday, Indy Wednesday, Hawks Thursday, the broadcast with my dad Friday, and then back for Hawks on Saturday. So it was a busy week. And I'll tell you what, as you would know, Will, in the media world, especially the sports world, uh, very, very, uh, limited time off. And, and so you always, you're always on the go. Uh, and obviously driving three and a half hours down to Indy, doing the game and then coming back, like you're looking at seven and a half or possibly eight hours of driving a day with a three or four hour broadcast mix in between. So, so the days get long, but yeah. you know, it's what you love when it's worth it. And when you say, you know what, I get to go to work or I get to drive three hours and do the game and then drive three hours back. I mean, does it get tough? Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm Superman and it's, it's never, you know, I'm, I'm never tired and I'm always this and that. No, it, it, it gets tiring, but what pushes you through is the fact that you love it. Um, but you're right. That, that broadcast with uh, doing it, being able to do it with my dad was, was extremely special. And so that Thursday, the day before the game, we both went down, we did our due diligence for, for NBC. He was on the call. I was behind the scenes. And then we both drove down halfway to Lafayette, Indiana, Thursday night after the Hawks game. Uh, we stayed together that night in the hotel. And then the next day we went for a nice breakfast at IHOP. Who doesn't like IHOP? A couple pancakes right, here right. and there. And then we went nope. to the game Friday night and uh, it, it was, it was awesome. Um, the, you know, bunch of interviews before the game and the publicity was really cool. And just to get that yeah. story out, because I don't know if it had happened in the ECHL before. I mean, I know it's happened very few times in the national hockey league. Uh, but to, to, to have this happen uh, down in Indy was, was really special. And, you know, just to take you inside the broadcast on our way up on the drive, I'm kind of sitting there going, what, dad, what am I going to call you? Like when we're on the air, like, I, like, what am I, I'm not going to call you? Yeah. Like, Hey dad, what'd you think of that? Like, that's just, you know, putting myself <laughs> right. in the shoes of the audience. Yeah, I don't really want to hear, Hey, sure. Son, or, you know, whatever. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. he just said, Oh, why don't you call me Edzo? And I said, yeah, okay, there you go. okay I, I guess I'd never, yeah. I'd really, I look to full disclosure. Yeah. Uh, if you call a parent in the old check household by their first name, you're probably going to be grounded for a week. I mean, that's just, that's just the reality yeah. of it. Uh, right. but he, he gave me the good graces to go ahead and use it. And the first time I used it was early in the first period. He had said something and I kind of went back and I was in the, I was in the process of saying to my partner, Andrew, I said, it goes back to what dad Edzo said. <laughs> so I got the D and the A out and then I had, it was kind of yeah. a D A E D Z O. Uh, and then from then on, it just kind of <laughs> started flowing off the tongue, you know, uh, 
uh, Edzo, what do you think? Or something like that. So it was definitely strange the first time. And then I kind of got into a swing of things and uh, a pretty special time. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, my father and I shared uh, some pretty cool moments and, and, and touching moments. You know, they, they recognized us on the big video board and you know, people were standing and cheering, which was, which was really cool. But I think it really hit home after every time he went to a commercial break and we would come back and my great play-by-play guy, Andrew Smith would go, welcome back to the Indiana farmers Coliseum for Indy fuel hockey alongside Eddie Olchek and Nick Olchek. I'm Andrew Smith. And anytime he would say that my dad and I would just look at each other and we'd share a, a smile. And I think that that is something that I will really, really look back on and uh, just an incredible time and so incredibly thankful for everybody involved. And of course, you know, my dad, I mean, he's a busy guy and he, he had two, he had two games uh, with a day in between and he sandwiched a minor league game uh, in between and extremely thankful for him. And uh, certainly a moment I will always look back on as a, as a real highlight in my career. Yeah, that's super awesome to hear. And I'm glad that you kind of explained also your duties as an associate producer for NBC, NBC Sports Chicago, because I was definitely curious about that. Yeah. So uh, when you break down those plays, because, you know, I'm watching hockey games on TV. I see that yeah. in between intermissions. They So are you uh, breaking down the plays for when for when your father is dissecting so it's kind of you're kind of working with him in a sense so uh, i'm not working with him i'm only working with uh the guys that are in studio so you got pat boyle the outstanding host for nbc sports chicago uh and then you Mm -hmm. have jamal mares you got steve conroy sometimes patrick sharp obviously he's doing uh, the big time shows up in stanford uh, for nbc sports on a national game uh and then last year adam burrish uh, so I'm, I'm mainly working with, with Stevie Conroy and, and uh, Jammer, Jamal Mayers. Uh, and, you know, so during the game, if, if something is worth breaking down as a teaching point, uh, whether it be positive or negative, I, I don't really see positives or negatives in it because you're, you're explaining why things are happening. And uh, obviously we tend to break down more Blackhawks goals for with the occasional Blackhawk goal against just explaining and teaching the viewers at home. Because my role in Indy as a, as a color analyst is to explain why. The play-by-play guy is there to explain what, and you know, in the duo, the broadcasting duo, I look as the analyst as the teacher. You know, you're explaining why things are going on, uh, how did that happen, and so you're there to to kind of uh, bring life to to uh, the broadcast. And and so, as far as the the job at NBC Sports Chicago, uh, being an associate producer and and working with the software that I do, uh, it, it just allows me to have an even you know, greater time being able to, to break things down and, and also conversing with Steve Conrad and Jamal Mayers. And in the past, Adam Burrish and, and Patrick Sharp, I mean, being able to converse with guys that played in the league forever and had incredible right. careers. I mean, that's incredible and value, valuable experience as it is to then, you know, it's gotten to a point now where, you know, I'll see something and I'll break it down and I'll send it to them and they'll say, you know, good, or maybe add this or, you know, you know, do this a little bit different. So it's, it's like, I'm, it's like, I'm going to school, right? I, I mean, it's, 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 it's incredible. And obviously with COVID restrictions and protocols, things are a little bit different around the studio now, but before COVID, you know, I was able to sit in the green room with those guys while the periods are going on and just listen, talk, you know, listen to them talk like you're in a locker room and, and breaking down the game on the fly. So, you know, that job specifically has given me an incredible amount of experience and being able to work with uh, and talk to guys that played at the highest level for a very long time. And, and uh, you know, I'd like to think that my work there has uh, enhanced the broadcast even a little bit, because at the end of the day, I consider myself like the painter and then they're the tar, they're the talkers. They, they, so I'm the illustrator, 
and they're the vocalizers. And so, uh, you know, maybe even just quickly to take to take our audience into exactly how I do it. So, you know, when I'm in the studio, I've got one monitor that's showing the live game. I've got another monitor, big computer that has the actual software in it. So, you know, if a, if a goal is scored by the Hawks and I see that there's something in the goal that's worth explaining why it happened, I'll be able to clip off the live uh, shot or at least the replay into the system. I'll kind of calibrate the ice and it's, it's a pretty detailed process. So uh, I'll, I'll find the cleanest shot that I can get at any point in the, uh, the 30 second replay or 40 second replay. And basically what I'll do is it's kind of like a snap effect where a, a, the picture of a hockey rink will show up on the screen and then you'll drag points. So the centerized faceoff circle, you'll drag that to the centerized faceoff circle or the, the red line, you'll drag the red line to the red line. And if you drag enough points, eventually it'll snap into place. That's how you get everything calibrated. And then you're able to go in and add pauses and add, uh, you know, slow motion type of effects or arrows and tracking uh, type of symbols. Uh, and then when I'm done with that, I feed it out. I send a clip of it to the analysts, whether it's Steve or Jammer. Uh, and then those guys, they look at it beforehand. So that way, when they get it live, they've seen it before and they know what to expect along with a little blurb of, you know, just uh, kind of showing and telling them, hey, this is what I saw. I know you're seeing it, but if you have any questions, here's a little blurb as to what I was seeing and trying to uh, illustrate on that play, just so there's no confusion. So it's a process. We have it down to a science now. And uh, like I said, unbelievably grateful for everybody there to, to have the opportunity uh, to do so. And it's something that um, I'm pretty much doing what I do in India as far as being a broadcast analyst, but just doing it through a software and, and kind of illustrating what my eyes, uh, what my eyes tell me. That's really cool because, you know, I watch, I, I see that all the time and I've always kind of wondered, you know, how does this come together? And you just painted a cool picture uh, talking about exactly what you do and what probably most broadcasts are kind of like. But, and it, I was also thinking whether it was before when you were talking about you're listening to games to hear certain, the verbiage that might be used. You have your father as a great mentor, I'm sure. You mentioned Pat Boyle and Steve, all these guys that you're able to kind of interact with, you know, professionally. I'm sure that, not only does it help you in your career calling games, but you're also doing like the associate producing aspect of things that you're seeing and breaking down things. So I'm sure, you know, you have all this wisdom basically already yeah. and you're still only, you know, you're, you're still going to be growing, but it's just really yeah. cool that you're able to kind of do what you're doing already and yeah. you know, yeah. add to that arsenal. And I'm, I have always been really close. Uh, I've always had, an affection for people who do behind the work scenes. Okay. And, right. and this, this goes back to when I was younger and learning from my father, how important on a hockey team, you know, the coaches are important. The players are important, but arguably more important are the trainers and the rink staff and the travel agent and everybody that does the incredible work behind the scenes that nobody sees. Uh, and so I feel that that has translated to me growing up in that now I'm able to be behind the scenes. I'm able to be amongst the the graphic people and the editors and the other associate producers and the producer to know that if eventually I get to where I want to get to in the National Hockey League and being a color analyst on television, I will not only have had experience behind the scenes and knowing what goes on in the production, but to have known exactly what those people are going through. And you know, there are some analysts nowadays who they just don't know that, whether they be former players or they didn't exactly come up through the ranks or, or at least being in production trucks uh, and they just want a replay like that, or they want a graphic like that. And they just, it, it's not, it doesn't work that way. Sure. The really, really good editors are going to be able to get it for you in a minute or two, 
but it just it just can't be you know at the snap of a finger. So uh, I think that the experience behind the scenes in production trucks in the studio is only going to help me moving forward because not only will I have a greater appreciation for those incredible people that do the hard work behind the scenes, as I would hope that they have an appreciation for me, knowing that I was in the trenches as well, uh, but also kind of knowing the tools that are at my disposal. And, and, and I think having a greater understanding of, of how the production works is only going to help you moving forward. And so if, if there was advice of the thousands of points of advice that I could give young broadcasters or young media people or people who are trying to get into it, both men and women, it's just, right. yeah. it, it helps just like anything to start, start at the bottom kind of, I mean, it is really, yep. that's probably the best way yeah. to put it. Uh, yeah. and not to get all a Drake on you, it was started from the bottom. Now we're here, but, uh, just, just to see how everything works and, and you're never going to see a plant grow unless you put the seed in the ground. And when you do that, you're able to, you dig the hole, you put the seed in and then you, 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 uh, see the, the plant grow. So, uh, I think the more involved you can be at all levels, even if, you know, do I want to be a graphics editor? Probably not. That's not where my passion is, but if I have an understanding of it and I see how it works, I'd like to think that there's going to be a reciprocal respect for the people that do the behind the scenes work. And, and for me, if, you know, as, as a, as a broadcaster. Yeah, I love that. I love the behind the scenes aspect of things. Like, uh, you know, I got into this podcast thing on my own randomly because I just wanted to talk with people in sports, basically. And, you know, I've learned so much from people. I I, I listen to, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, like ESPN 1000 yeah. in Chicago. I listen yeah. to them all the time. You know, David Kaplan. I know you probably know him with NBC oh, yeah. Sports Chicago great as guy. well. Great, but, great guy. Right. Great yeah. Guy. I, I, you know, I've had them on uh, a lot of there's a lot of the people from ESPN 1000, but you know, not only talking sports, but asking them to give me like a behind the scenes kind of look into things. Yeah. Uh, I love learning that kind of thing. And I kind of, you know, applied things in my own way when I'm editing a podcast, mm-hmm. I've learned, you know, certain things on my own. So I definitely have a great appreciation for the detail that you were mentioning and all the behind the scenes stuff. And really cool to hear about exactly what you're doing. Yeah. I, you know, I, Pat Boyle, same thing. I, I watched him and listened to the hockey show on the yeah. ESPN 1000. Yeah. So very familiar with all these names, yeah. but really cool to hear that and to just kind of learn exactly what you were just saying. Cause I've always wondered, like, I wonder who's doing these, how they do this yeah. stuff. And like you said, they see it before they go on air live with it, yeah. which makes perfect sense. Right. But, and that, really and that's something that, that people might not know. Right. Like it's, yeah. And, right, and, right. and I think it's the same in sports in terms of like, and, I, and I'm sure you can attest to this too, Will, is that us as fans, the closer we can get to the players, the better, right? So I love the the, the behind the scenes footage that teams do, or yeah. know, that the build up to the Winter Classic, like we've had in the past, and you get the behind the scenes looks at the players and their lives away from the the rink, and being able to humanize them and say, you know what, yeah, they're just like you and I. I mean, yeah, they might have a couple more schmillion in the bank account, but yeah, you know, they're just right, they're right. just like you and I for the most part. So. Uh, I think it's really important and, and it's, you know, a big reason why I decided to, it was grateful enough for you to have me and, and why I wanted to come on and, and, sh- and share these important things behind the scenes, but also to know people, you know, to show people that, Hey, it's, it's not easy. You know, being a modern day media person is, is really not easy, you know, especially as a broadcaster, because you know, anything that leaves your mouth, uh, it's going to the sky and it's, it's never coming back. So uh, you gotta, you gotta be careful. You gotta make sure that uh, your words are are heartfelt and they're what you mean. And, and, uh, and, and that in terms of an on-air broadcast type of situation, but uh, you know, the behind the scenes stuff has always been really uh, interesting and, and something that I've always been really excited to learn though. 
you know, do I want to work in a production truck? You know, I'd like to be on the air. I'd like to be on camera. But the more understanding that you can have, it's, it's only going to help you moving forward. Because going back to what we talked about in the beginning, if plan A doesn't work out, at least you have some experience to fall back on to say, you know, I, I was I was pretty good as an associate producer. And, you know, maybe broadcasting doesn't work out. Well, I was a pretty good associate producer. You know, maybe I can carry on with that. So there's just as many avenues as you can open, the better. And, and, and uh, you know, going back to what you said about, you know, knowing people, it, it really is the business. The more connections you can make, the better. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and I'd like to think that I have a decent amount of connections in the sports world, especially the hockey world. Uh, but also know that, hey, you might have connections uh, and, and more doors might open up for you and more opportunities might uh, uh, be there for you. But when you get the opportunity, if you don't hit a home run, uh, you're, 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 you know, you're not going to be in that position. So uh, it's, it's all about, you know, doing well with the opportunities that you do get and, and making sure that you're constantly networking, constantly, uh, you know, meeting new people and and telling your story and, uh, allowing people to, to see you, uh, as you are. And, uh, if you're doing what you love through all of that, life is going to be pretty darn good. Yeah. You know, I, uh, actually interned in minor league baseball. So yeah. I kind of got a little taste into, you know, like behind the scenes as an intern, media relations, marketing, all that stuff. And I just assumed out of college that I'm going to try to work in sports. And, you know, I kind of scratched that itch with the internships, but after that, I was kind of like, all right, Maybe I don't want to work in sports, but I still want to pursue sports in some way, which is how this podcast has kind of worked out. And it's cool to just listen and hear other people and what they're doing. And so I've been able to kind of, that was my plan B, I guess, unintentionally. Like I didn't even know I'd be doing something like this. And now it's become a consistent (laughs) thing, but it's been awesome, you know, getting your story. And then I also wanted to ask you, so talk about covering hockey this year. You mentioned it with covid And, you know, I used to go to ECHL games when I used to live in Columbus, Ohio. We Mm -hmm. had the Columbus Chill. And I just remember I was a young kid, but a very fun league, fun teams, fun games. So talk about just covering hockey this season for for the Indy Fuel. Yeah, it's it's been very different. I think above all else, of all the negatives, it's just awesome to have hockey back. Uh, Obviously, the season and and all the professional leagues just came to a halt last year. Um, the ECHL season came to a halt and it never resumed. Um, and, and that was, that was tough because last year's Indy fuel team, I mean, they had a serious opportunity to run all the way to the, to the Kelly cup final. I mean, they, they were one heck of a team and we, uh, it was almost like every night Andrew and I would, and would just look at, at each other after the broadcast and be like, this year might end with a ring. Like, like that's just, yeah. and and that's the feeling that we got. And you know, that especially in the ECHL, more so than any other league, the amount of movement in that league in terms of trades, call-ups, injuries, because teams are playing three games in three days. They're playing four games in five days. Just the amount of hockey is so compact, it's going to lead to a lot more injuries. So just the constant in and out of players uh, in that league, it's exciting because you're, you're constantly being thrown new talent. Uh, and it's it's it sucks when you see really, really good players go, but you understand that, hey, they're getting a shot at the next level. They're getting a shot in the American Hockey League, and maybe a couple of guys get a shot in the National Hockey League. I mean, I, I can look at a couple of guys on the Chicago Blackhawks right now that are former Indy Fuel players. They played all three levels professionally, ECHL, AHL, and the National Hockey League, that being Kevin Lankinen, uh, who was a former mm-hmm. Indy Fuel player. Colin Delia, goaltender on the taxi squad, did that as well. So I think that that is a great part of the ECHL. Look, at the, at the end of the day, it's a developmental league. Okay, It's there to 
improve hockey players and get them ready for the next two levels above. Uh, and yes, there are players there that, uh, you know, probably belong there and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And they're trying to put food on their dinner table, just like everybody else is. Uh, but I think that that league has done a great job in, in churning out great players that have gone on not only to be studs in the American league, but to be really, really darn good hockey players at the national hockey league level. And I think that that is a great thing because it shows the guys that are down there right now. And it's no different than the baseball when you're in double A, triple A in the major leagues, that if you put your nose to the grindstone and you do the right things and somebody believes in you and they give you a chance, eventually you're going to get a shot. And then it goes back to what we said just a few minutes ago. What do you do with that opportunity that you get? That's on you. So uh, it, it's been interesting. I think the thing that I missed most uh, or or the biggest you know thing that has kind of upset me about covering uh, the ECHL uh, in a pandemic filled world is not as close to the players. Uh, you know, we, we would all, yeah. I'd always love hanging around the locker room and talking to the guys and, and being, you know, personal with them. And, and now you got to rely on a phone or you got to rely on, on a zoom. And so it just kind of takes the, uh, the personality out of it though. You're able to connect. There's nothing quite like standing in front with somebody face to face, uh, in being able to share stories and share experiences. And so you know, I've been able to generate uh, a couple of friendships with players on the Indy Fuel team. And uh, of course, led by the great coach and Doug Christensen and Andy Contois, the assistant coach, uh, they know how to run a team. Uh, but I would say to answer your question, the toughest thing covering hockey this year amidst the pandemic uh, has been having to be so far away from the players and covering them from a distance. Uh, because me, I mean, my friends will tell you this, my family would tell me, tell you this, uh, you know, I'm a pretty personable guy. I'm an, I'm an intimate guy. I try to do things the right way. And I love hanging out with people, whether I know them or I don't just to hear their story. Uh, and, and I love, you know, just going down, hanging around the locker room, whether before games, doing a pregame interview with a guy or, you know, after a win, you know, hanging around the locker room, catching some guys as they go out to the parking lot and just talking, shooting the breeze and, and just, just talking. Uh, and, and so I would have to say that that's probably the thing that I miss the most. And hopefully barring everything that's going on in the world and thoughts and prayers, certainly with everybody who's, who's experienced loss of life, loss of employment, everybody's going through a really tough time, but uh, hopefully if we're able to get back to the life that we once knew, uh, you know, we're able to get back to those times where you're able to, to really connect person to person, man to man, man to woman, woman to man, whatever it is. Uh, you know, with those guys in that dressing room, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, those are the guys who you are describing. Those are the guys that you're analyzing. And it's a lot more fun to do that when you're able to have that personal connection. And yeah, you know, when you're on a broadcast, maybe, you know, drop a little nugget in the broadcast saying that this guy mm -hmm. told me yeah. this at the pregame skate, or, you know, yeah. I learned about this guy and his family and his mom's coming to the game tonight and she's here seeing her son for the 150th time in his career. You know, whatever the case is, you lose out on a lot of, a lot of that. Uh, you know, with what's going on right now, but like I said, like I said with the vaccines rolling out, hopefully uh, we can kind of get back to that at one point, because uh, I'd say my favorite thing aside from being able to broadcast a game is uh, hearing the, the stories of the players and being able to, uh, to generate those, those friendships, because look, I mean, I'm 24 years old. Uh, I'm at peace with my playing career, no question. But the one thing as a player, no matter the sport, even when you retire, the one thing you will always miss is the locker room. You will always miss mm -hmm. those times spent with the guys, spent with the girls, and having that camaraderie and that chemistry. Uh, that is something that I miss the most. And at least last year, was able to get a little taste of that.
being a broadcaster and hanging around, uh, hanging around the dressing room. Yeah, for sure. You know, it, it reminds me when I was talking with Adam Amin a few months or a few months ago, uh, he was kind of saying, you know, I, I was, I was kind of mentioning, I was like, you know, obviously it's ideal that everybody would be able to travel, for instance, broadcasters travel with the team on the road and cover it. But it was kind of on one hand, I guess in my mind, impressive that they were able to make it seem so seamless, even if they're doing it from a studio and not being able to be there. But of course, like obviously it's not perfect to have to do it remotely or be at a studio calling games. Like you said, people want to be able to interact with, the uh, the players whoever in person but hopefully we get back to normal sooner than later and i think we are but yeah it'll be interesting to see from a sports dynamic i'm 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 assuming and hoping that you know like broadcasters like yourself would be able to travel again or be able to talk with people in person again right for, for the most part yeah exactly and i and i've been pretty lucky to where uh, actually last season the indie fuel the broadcasters do not travel on the road, even before the pandemic. That the yeah, broadcasters were not. We're only we only do the home games. Um, so and and we're lucky enough to actually be in the rink, be in the broadcast booth, and actually do those games live, which is great. Something I'm extremely thankful for. But you know, exactly what you said, a lot of broadcasters, especially you know in the NBA and the NFL and uh, soccer and and also hockey. You know, I, you know, talking with my dad, I mean, you know, doing a game off a monitor is just it's it's. It's awful. I mean, it is because as, as, especially as an analyst, you're not just watching where the camera guy's watching, you know, like you're, you're looking what's going on behind the play. You're looking on the bench to see if the team is maybe down a player or, or, you know, a player makes a bad play and then goes back to the bench. And, you know, on TV, you might not be able to see, but if you're actually there, you might be able to see that the coach is is having a word with the player. And then you can break that down and say, Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, that player, he made a turnover. And he's on his way back to the bench and the coach is talking to him saying, Hey, try this next time or do this just to bring people inside the game even more. Uh, but yeah. when you're doing it off a monitor, you lose everything other than what the camera guy is, uh, is, is showing you. So, uh, you're right. It's, it's extremely difficult. Uh, you know, at least we have sports. I, I think that, you know, you can look back or you can look and say, you know what, at least we have something to do. And right, to watch right. and to get excited about and to to cry about and to cheer about, um, but no question. I, I mean, it, it has been really, really tough for for uh, broadcasters, men and women, that have had to do sports off of a monitor because you just you lose the atmosphere, uh, you you lose the the field of view uh, that you would normally have if you were there. But I guess you know, for me, uh, having the uh, the fortunate ability to actually do games live and do home games at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum for the Indy Fuel. Uh, with my play-by-play partner Andrew Smith, like that, that I, I consider myself extremely lucky because I have that full field of field of view. I'm there. They have limited capacity, so I just you know to take you inside the first broadcast we did this year. I think they had like 20% capacity there. Uh, I think the the Coliseum holds about 6,400, and they had you know whatever. I'm not was never very good at math, but they had you know <laughs> I mean, you know yeah. two <laughs> two thousand people there, or, you know whatever less than that, yeah. and you know 1,600 and to hear people yell when the, when a goal was scored and to hear the goal horn like that was so foreign to me. I mean, it was so foreign and it was, it was extra energizing and exciting when, when it happened. And so kind of gotten a little bit more used to it now, now that buildings are starting to fill up in both the national hockey league and the ECHL. Um, but, uh, yeah, this, the pandemic has brought about a lot of change uh, and it'd be, it's going to be very, very interesting to see moving forward if television companies and television networks 
decide to keep this style of broadcasting to help save on cost. That's going to be something very, very interesting to keep in mind and to look at because, hey, look, you know, people might say that companies have a lot of money, but you know, they're they're putting money into things. And if you were in that position, you know, it's it's not all what it seems. So you could you if you can save a buck, that's great. Obviously, you know, somebody who carries a card in the broadcasters union, we need to travel. We want to go. Like, like, please, we want to travel so we can go eat at that nice steakhouse in New York or where or wherever yeah. the case is, right? But we want to be right. at the event to have the full field of view to understand and to be able to say, you know, I'm not just looking at a you know 20 inch monitor. Um, so it's gonna be it's gonna be really, really interesting to see both how broadcasts go moving forward, but I think also in terms of the media having access to players, like they, these are the questions that you know the, the teams that can sit there and say, well, it worked during the pandemic. We're going to keep doing that. And, you know, are, are media members ever going to be able to go in the locker room and dressing room or the clubhouse again? You know, I, I don't know. These are the questions that we're only going to find out with time. But uh, it has certainly been an extremely uh, interesting period of time, and to see the things that we've been able to make work, uh, like Zoom. I mean, I'd love to be a shareholder in Zoom over this last year. I, mean, I know, sure, right? Yeah. I'm sure it's got to be gotten gone up multi thousands in terms of percent rise. Uh, but uh, yeah, no doubt. It's going to be very, very interesting to see uh, how things progress or if things stay the same, but I'm uh, right there with you. Will. I think the, the uh, more we, the quicker we can get back to people in seats, uh, live events, obviously with the vaccines and making sure everybody's staying safe with the protocols. uh, That's, that's certainly going to be a day that, uh, that we all dream for and hope comes very soon. Yeah, I was wondering and thinking the same thing. You know, I was like, well, we've seen it work now. Like you said, the studios and all that stuff. And I'm wondering if they will say, hey, we're going to keep. Because I mean, on the one hand, I totally get it. Like, bro, like you said, it stinks having to watch a game on a monitor. You want to be there. Yeah. Now, from my view, for what it's worth, <laughs> from, from, from what I can see, it seems so seamless and it seems perfect. Like, I wouldn't even know that, oh, yeah, they're not even at the game. Like, it yeah. sounds perfect. But I totally get the challenges that you're you know, broadcasters such as yourself, even though you, like you said, you don't travel, yeah, but I yeah. can see how that would definitely be. And, and, ju- and just real quick, I mean, especially for a play-by-play guy and, and uh, an analyst, you know, just taking in inside, uh, you know, Pat Foley, the great, uh, the incredible hall of famer for the Blackhawks, the play-by-play man, along with my dad, like they use a lot of hand signals. Okay. When, when, when Pat now they've worked together long enough, just, you know, I've worked long enough with Andrew to where I know when the play-by-play guy is going to stop talking, or I know when he's going to take a breath just because you, you get comfortable with somebody and you know, when they're going to stop talking that way, if you have something to say, you know, exactly when to jump in there. Now, there are times when you really want to get something out there and you motion to them. Or for me, I just kind of take my left hand because Andrew's always to my left. And I just either pat him on the shoulder or I kind of wave my finger, you know, in his field of view so he can see it. And then he'll know to get out so I can get in, say my piece and then get out so he can resume. So in terms of doing things from a monitor and you got to keep in mind that the play by play and the color analysts, they're not always in the same room. Like in some setups, they're in completely different rooms where they can't even see each other. And that's when you get broadcasters stepping on each other and, and, you know, maybe jumping in too quickly because they think that they're going to stop talking. So uh, you're totally right. I I hope at some point, all of the doing games from a monitor is just gone because you lose out on so much. Uh, But, but certainly uh, it's, it's not exactly in our hands. So we're just going to have to see what the big wigs and the executives decide to do whenever, uh, whenever the time comes. 
that's like another podcast I do with our, our other hockey uh, website. And before we, we, we didn't always used to do Zoom or Skype. We would just record. And I can't imagine doing it without video now because I'm like, all right, at least I can see the person talking <laughs> before I talk. Yeah. I'm sure because I know your father and Doc Emmerich were, are very close. Mm-hmm. So I'm, do you have any specific stories, maybe f- whether interacting with Doc or yeah. just curious? Yeah, he is... I think it's tough to put into words the kind of uh, broadcaster that Doc is. Certainly, uh, he is a type of broadcaster that uh, young media people aspire to, but I don't know if they're ever going to be able to reach. Uh, he is arguably one of the most kind, gentle, sweet uh, people that I've ever had the, the chance to, to meet. And I would have loved and hoped to, in the future, spend more time with him. A lot of times I was able to at least be lucky enough to interact with him was kind of in passing, whether it be, you know, me going to a Blackhawk game where, you know, it was a national game and my dad and doc were doing the game. And then when the game was over, I'd go down underneath, you know, in the uh, kind of the bowels of the United center and meet my dad on his way down. He'd be walking down with doc. And, he, you know, the, the one thing with doc doesn't matter if he's known you for 50 years or 50 seconds, he's always going to take time out of his day to talk to you uh, and, and ask you, how are you? Or if he doesn't know anything about you, so what do you do? And I think that that to me, Doc the person is even more special than Doc the broadcaster. Uh, and that's saying a lot because this is a guy who is at yeah. the pinnacle in terms of play-by-play broadcasting for any sport uh, at any time ever. So, uh, I, you know, the, 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 me- the fond memories that I have at least interacting with Doc while I wish it was more, uh, the few that I did have, uh, just an incredible person. Uh, and like I said, an, an immaculate broadcaster, but the person that he is really uh, speaks volumes to uh, the way that he handles himself, whether he's known you forever or just met you. Uh, and obviously if you watch the, uh, the Doc Emmerich uh, documentary on NBC, yeah. uh, you're yeah. able to, to get a glimpse into the relationship that my father and him have, uh, which is, which is pretty special. And, uh, and look, you know, in sports, to work with another broadcaster that you're genuinely friends with is very special. It's rare. It's rare because while two broadcasters on TV or on the radio might have good chemistry, those could be guys that never have dinner together or, or, or girls. They, they, they never hang out together. They never call one another. The only time they talk to each other is when they get to the broadcast booth. Uh, and, and there are a lot of those relationships out there, but be, to be able to call a broadcast or somebody that you work with, a dear friend, somebody that you would rely on, somebody that you would call if you were in trouble and they would help and same vice versa, uh, that's extremely, extremely rare and something that uh, certainly I think defines the relationship between my dad and Doc. Uh, but uh, anytime I've ever interacted with him, whether it be via text, uh, whether it be uh, uh, interacting with him in person. He is one of the most gracious people that I've ever had uh, the pleasure to know. And, uh, you know, he, he's going to tell you like it is. He's going to tell you how he feels. He's going to be straight up, uh, but he's going to do it uh, uh, gracefully and uh, with the immaculate amount of skill. And and you talk about verbiage, like we said earlier. I mean, that mm, guy's got yep, more yeah. that guy's got more words in his vocabulary than there are in the dictionary, really. So uh, he, he's yeah, exactly. he's quite the person, quite the broadcaster and really an honor to uh to uh, to have uh, been around him in the past and, and, and learned so much. 
Yeah, exactly. The documentary is what I was thinking of at the very beginning when you mentioned the verbiage, listening to the games. Yeah. And I was just thinking about, there's like a, I don't know, 30 second segment on there about all the different words that he could just <laughs> come up with. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I've thought about that too. When I'm writing recaps, I do the Blue Jackets uh, SB Nation page with our team over there writing, doing podcasts and things. And we've, uh, you know, I'm recapping games and I'm trying to mix up my words a little bit just to not do the same thing. Yeah. I thought about that a little bit. And like you said before, just watching the games and hearing how, yeah. like on my end with the Blue Jackets, whether it's Jody Shelley or even when I'm watching a Blackhawks game yeah. and I hear whoever talking about yeah. something and I'm like, oh, I kind of want to see if I can maybe put this word in there yeah. next time or yeah. say this and yeah. explain a play. And I would also say that for people that are fans of multiple sports and you're a broadcaster on one sport like I am, like there's nothing wrong with taking lingo from other sports and inserting it into your sport you know for me i'm a huge fan of soccer liverpool dortmund those are my team so i you know they, they were they lost today in the champions league so i'm not overly happy but you know it is what it is <laughs> uh but you know there are certain terms from other sports that i try and use in, into my vocabulary uh you know like a, 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 a saying that's often used in soccer is stings the palms and that's when uh you know a player kicks the ball and it the goaltender is able to make a save on a really hard shot and he's able to knock it down with his hands. And one time I heard a broadcaster say it stung him in the palms. I'm like, that would kind of work in hockey where a goaltender makes a great glove save on, a, you know, an incredibly fast slap shot from the point. It stung his palm yeah. and he was able to see it into the glove. Like I've never heard of, again, I've watched a lot of hockey. I haven't watched all the hockey in the world, but I don't remember. <laughs> I don't recall a color analyst or a yeah. play by play guy saying that puck stung him in the palm. And maybe it's been said, but, so there are just those little things that, that you can say, or an analogy that I made uh, a couple broadcasts ago, where one of the top players uh, on the Indy Fuel, who's counted on to score goals, he's he's had a tough stretch and he th scored 30 goals last year. He's only got like two goals in his last 10 games, and he's kind of struggled because of injury. And he's been back, he's been playing well, but the puck just hasn't been going in for him. He's got like 40 shots in his last 10 games, just two goals. Why? He's missed a lot of the shots wide. He's missed the net because he's trying to be too fine and pick the corners. I compare that to like a pitcher in baseball where you're yeah. trying to paint the corners and you're missing and it's ball and it's ball and it's ball. Well, what does the pitcher do? He starts throwing strikes. Just throw the ball down the middle. And if he hits it for a home run, well, at least you threw a strike and you didn't walk him. Right. So there are those analogies that you can bring from other sports to your sport uh, that are, it's going to spice up the broadcast and it's going to be more entertaining. And of, of course that with making up some of your own lingo and your own verbs to be original. Uh, so I try to watch as many sports as I can. And like I said, hockey, soccer, baseball, but those are, those are my three sports. And, uh, the more knowledge you'll have of all sports, I think it's only going to help you more, especially in terms of your vocabulary as a broadcaster. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I know doc, he thought he was gonna do baseball. Yeah, so yeah. there you go, right there. Yeah. Big big um, pirate so, fan. Big pirate fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I, I know it's uh it's tough being a pirates fan yeah, these days, but yeah, uh, yeah. although they've been beating up the Cubs a little bit, yeah. I guess. They so. they got the you know what? Hey, I'm I don't watch them extremely closely, uh, but they got some uh they got some pretty darn good kids on that team, like Brian Reynolds and and uh yeah. like Brian Hayes. Yeah. Like they like they've yeah. got they've got some studs for the future. So it's just about holding on That's to them. True. And uh, you know, yeah. I, did you have to stab me in the heart with them the beating up on the Cubbies? Um, I mean, oh, see, I know. It's hey, just, I got the Cubs hat on right there now. There you so. go. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, to, to the chagrin of a lot of people in Chicago, I'm sure. But I, I'm both yeah. a Cub and a Sox fan. 
I like both okay. teams. I want to see them both do well. Now they played in the world series. I would probably pick the Cubs cause I grew up a Cubs fan, but it's, yeah. uh, it's tough to deny what they're doing on the South side with that team. I mean, you talk about studs and you talk about, you know, what the Cubs were in 2015, 16. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's yep. a pretty darn good team on the South side. So big, big that's baseball, sure. baseball fan and happy to have both teams back. Yeah. You know, uh, real fast about Brian Reynolds. So when I was in Augusta with the Green Jackets, he was actually on the, you know, of course, with the Giants did. And he came up to Augusta. I had like a brief interaction with oh, him yeah, for like really? a social media thing. Awesome. And he was, you know, with, with Vanderbilt. So I was, you know, I'm here in Virginia. So I was like, yeah, Vanderbilt and UVA championships, you know, the the final of the last couple of years. So we had like a brief exchange, but he was hitting in single A, went up to high A San Jose, and the dude has been hitting ever since. Yeah, so yeah. I always remember like, oh, there's at least, there's at least, of the of the players that I saw back then for Augusta and the Rome Braves yeah. who are all up in like Atlanta right yeah. now. It's it's yeah. cool to see players that have, you know, started low and are making it in the show. But exactly. So one of the last things I wanted to ask you about. So I know that for your father, you know, I know he's more than just all the accolades, but mm-hmm. whether it's Stanley Cup champ, uh US Hockey Hall of Famer, being a lead broadcaster for NBC, I'm I'm sure, obviously, <laughs> you've had a lot of uh, whether it's great stories, great highlights, but or advice, tips. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, I guess, of all that stuff that, and of course, he's your father, yeah. so it goes beyond that. But, um, and maybe you've touched on it already, but I'm curious, I guess, what is maybe one, whether it's a funny story or you already mentioned the highlight, of course, working with yeah. him, but what kind of, I guess, when I, when I, when I say Edzo, like what kind of comes yeah. to your mind? Uh, to be honest, Will, uh, and to be real, the thing that comes to mind is is him beating cancer. I think you love your parents. You appreciate your parents. Do you always see eye to eye with your parents? No. And I think that that's healthy. But when he was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer, uh, it shakes you to your core. Um, and, and just to kind of take you in, um, he was actually diagnosed with, with stage three colon cancer two weeks before I was supposed to leave for my freshman year of college. Mm. And as somebody who's very close to their parents, and I am not afraid at all to admit that, I talk to my parents every day, whether I'm home, whether I'm not home, doesn't matter. Uh, that's just the way, the way that I was raised in condition. And like I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, right. no. When he was diagnosed and I was supposed to go to college, uh, I'm sitting there going, I can't go. I, I, I got to be here. I know you have mom. I know, you know, your parents are here. Grandma, grandpa are here. Aunts, uncles, they're here. I can't go. I can't leave my dad, you know, when he's got to go through six months of, of chemotherapy. Um, and so that was a really tough time for me. Um, but a couple of days before I was supposed to go to college, my dad sat me down and he said, if you don't go, you'll only be hurting me more. And that, that, set me straight. It, uh, showed me that, Hey, I got to go live my life. He's going to be fine. He's got a great team of doctors. He's got family here and, and I'll check in on him. And there's certainly, when I was at school that freshman year, there was not a day that went by that I didn't call him multiple times a day. Uh, and it got to a point where he just said, Nick, you don't have to call me <laughs> two or three times a day, but that's just, that's the way that I am. I, I care yeah. an incredible amount. Um, but, uh, I think when I think about my dad, when I think of Edso, when I think of Eddie O, the Hall of Famer and the former 16-year National Hockey League veteran who scored 342 goals and often tells me when we get into a little bit of a spat, says, you know what, Nick, how many goals did you score in the NHL? 
And then I, you know, that's, that's the no comeback comebacker. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's, uh, when I think about him, I just think about the battle that he went through, uh, fighting for, for our family and, and his fans and, and the people that, uh, mean the most to him and, uh, and the other way around. Um, I think the one thing that, that people might not see is how, just how kind, kind he is, uh, generous in terms of giving and helping and, being strong in his convictions. And, and I don't, you know, I don't know if many people know this, but he, he's not a drinker. He doesn't drink. Uh, I think he's drank like tw- twice in his life. Uh, first, when he was younger, he's seven years old, sitting on my grandpa's lap and he, he had a swig of beer and spit it out. And then of course, when he won the Stanley cup in 1994 with the New York Rangers, uh, you know, that just goes to, show, I mean, that's a guy who had more than enough opportunities to, to consume alcohol and drink having been a professional athlete but stuck strong to his convictions and said, you know what? No, I, I don't want to do it. And if I don't want to do it, I'm not going to be peer pressured to do it because I don't want to do it. And yeah. he, he hasn't now the exception. Uh, he actually had a, a toast of champagne. He calls it champagne. You know, of course has to throw a little, little spin on it uh, at, yeah. at, my, at my brother's wedding. And that was actually the anniversary uh, a year yeah. uh, after he had been diagnosed. And, and when my brother had, was got, had gotten married to his wife, Erica, um, so those are the things that I really, really look up to him for. And, and I'm not a drinker either. You know, I, I, I don't drink. I, I had one drink at my brother's wedding as well. When I gave my best man speech and, you know, downed a, a little glass of Dom Perignon. So I could say my, the drink I've had of, uh, was, was a glass of Dom. So that's, you know, fairly yeah. impressive to some, uh, but you know, I think it's just, it's just being strong-willed, um, having those convictions in your life that, you know what, if I don't want to do something, I'm not going to do it. Uh, you know, no, no matter how much peer pressure there is. So uh, I know there's a lot there, but I, I think it's just a culmination yeah. of, of uh, knowing who you are, uh, knowing where you were, where you are, where you're trying to go and to be able to have that understanding, uh, all of that, all of the life lessons that we could sit here and talk for hours about, uh, all of that mixed in with the fact that he's a cancer survivor and it's continued to raise research and to, to do events and and to be public in his battle to with the hope of helping at least one person if he can help one person it'll all be worth it um and and i can tilt my screen down for those watching they, you know they, there's there's the book that the book that he came out with yeah. beating hockey or excuse me beating uh let's let's see it's it's been a while beating the odds of hockey and in life i mean that's it, it, it couldn't be more true um so it's uh it's incredible to have him as a father and you know to be frank and to be honest you know, people from the outside looking in, you know, it's easy to sit there and go, oh, you're Eddie's son. You've gotten everything handed to you. And, you know, you got a silver spoon right. and, you know, you know, look at you. You're only a broadcaster because of your dad or you, know, you were only at you only played a division one sport because of your last name. And, and those are all the things that I've had to deal with growing up and I'm pretty much numb to it by now because nothing is original. I mean, you know, but I understand that I have worked for everything that I have gotten because of the things that I was taught by a guy who was successful at the highest level, couldn't be more fortunate and grateful to have him as my dad. And, uh, you know, I am absolutely public about that. So, uh, he's a, he's a great broadcaster. There's a reason why he's, uh, in my mind, a guy who no one knows hockey better than he does. And he's the lead analyst on NBC. Uh, but for all of the work that he's done in his career, uh, the man that he is, the father that he is, the brother that he is, the husband that he is, all of that, uh, I think, supersedes uh, everything that he's done in his career, which certainly is saying a lot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. That was really well said. And, 
you know, I'm glad you mentioned, of course, like I was going to say too, that I'm very glad, obviously, that he beat cancer and is doing yeah. really well. And I just remember a couple of years ago when that, you know, came out mm-hmm. and, you know, my appreciation for him, I think only grew, obvious, you know, knowing like, man, that's obviously it's awful, but like, I become such a huge fan of his, the way he, you know, was battling with that, you know, dealing with that. And I really saw the tremendous amount of respect that his colleagues and everybody, all the fans have. So really awesome to see him doing so well now. I think you definitely embody like what you were saying, the character and everything. Like I could totally, I knew before I, before I, we even talked, I knew that you had worked hard to get to where you are now. Yeah. So really cool to see that. But uh, yeah, I just got to tell you real fast. Um, uh, it was last year when he was still doing, you know, a couple of uh, co-hosting with, with David Kaplan on Cap and Co. Yeah. Uh, he was doing a shout. I was like, I want to call in just because I, I love Eddie. I wanted to uh, yeah. just say, yeah, I, I was like a quick shout out. And I was like, hey, Eddie, you're the man. You guys are the best. Yeah. And the book that you're referencing, yeah. I actually have it on my awesome. uh, iPad. So, awesome. um, but I was like, yeah, you're the man. And it was cool just to hear him be like, appreciate that, Will, because yeah. it was cool to just chat with him or chat with him, yeah. you know, say two seconds, right. something to him. But uh, yeah. no, really cool. really cool to uh, to just get your story and yeah learned i definitely learned a lot definitely yeah. awesome to, yeah. to hear what you had to say yeah well just just to, to touch on what you had said about calling in the capping company uh and, and i know that he really appreciated the the incredible outpouring of support just as i yeah. did you know friends people that i hadn't talked to in years uh you know people that i hadn't talked to in years you know usually under usual circumstances uh, calling me say asking for blackcock tickets or or uh, you know can your dad give me a shout out on tv you know this time it was you know roles reversed where they're calling me and, and and you know seeing how everything's going on and 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 that meant so much uh i, I think it it's it, it's a tough part of the of the life and society that we live in now where tragedy kind of forces people to come together and that's where you're really able to see what you're worth, how people really feel about you. Um, and, and it was, uh, it was a trying time. It really challenges your, your belief and your faith and, uh, you know, yeah. the, the power of positivity as well. Um, but I'm sure, and I know that that call, and I probably heard it cause I always try to tune in, uh, when, when cap shows, cause he is, he's quite the character yeah. and, and an incredible guy. Um, but I yeah. know at least just speaking for him, that meant a lot. And it was the support of people like you and his friends and family that allowed him to get through it and, uh, trying times, but Hey, he's on the other side of it. And now it's all about uh, yeah. trying to gen- trying to generate as much research as possible and, and try and, uh, you know, turn the eye on, on cancer, something that just ravages people, no matter their age or gender or ethnicity or race. Uh, you know, the more we can do to, to help combat it, so the longer people are going to live, the longer good people are going to live. And, and, uh, we're going to be able to go on uh, living the lives that, uh, that we want to live. Yeah, definitely. Well said. Yeah, that was, uh, that's pretty much all I had for you. Really awesome. I mean, I didn't, I didn't plan to take up an hour, but it was really yeah. cool to hear everything yeah. that you had to say. Really awesome to, to get everything. Yeah, no, Hey, I really, really appreciate you having me. It's always fun to go and share my story and, uh, now that I'm a little bit more in the in the public eye, and it's 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 a lot of fun, and I, I appreciate you having me and, and taking yeah, some definitely. time out of your day. And I, I've been able to leading up to this, listen to a couple of your podcasts and interviews that you had done. You're doing a great job, and just uh, <laughs> just just keep doing what you do, man. I mean, look at the end of the yeah. day, it's just like what we talked about. It's if you're passionate about it, you're going to find a way to be successful at it. And you know, Plan A might not work out. That's why you have B and C and D. Yeah. Um, and and in the sports world, man, there's there's so many different things that you can do. Uh, and it seems like you've been grinding, working in minor league baseball and doing the podcast. Now it's, 
if, if you have a passion for it, you're going to find a way to make it work. So appreciate you having me on and uh, let's definitely keep in touch and excited, yeah, to, excited to see where your career goes as well. Yeah, I really appreciate that. It's cool that you you, you uh, caught a couple of the episodes. Yeah. Specifically, um, at least the one thing about the way that you interview, I, I just think you asked the right questions. Mm-hmm. I think I think that that's something that. that, yeah. Look, people listen to podcasts. I mean, anyone could just go listen to people just, you know, talk out their rear end, right? I mean, you know, anybody yeah. can do yeah. that. But to to get, obviously, I mean, it helps when you get, I don't want to say important people on, but when you get people right, on right. that, that people want to listen right. to people want to hear from, you know, that's yeah. one thing to get them on. But then when you have them, like you said, talking with Adam, Amin, like asking the right questions, asking the questions that people want to hear. That's that are going to be insightful that, Hey, how did you, because in a, in a podcast like this, people are wanting to know why they're wanting to know, how did you get to the spot that you're in? You know, you're not going to just going to sit there and tell, oh, well, you know, how was the broadcast you did last game? Or, you know, tell us your story. It's like, well, you know, what would you advise a young person to do if they're trying to get into this field of work? So uh, I just think that's the one thing I applaud you on and, and, uh, and you know, ask you to keep doing for, for everybody's sake, because the, the more questions that you can ask, ask the right questions, the questions that are going to derive substance, that's going to make people listen more. And uh, I think you're doing a great job so far. So, hey, just keep going. Yeah, I really appreciate that because not to get long winded or anything, but, you know, I, I the only reason I was doing these was because four years ago I was like, it'd be cool to talk with whoever, yeah. you know, Jerry Krasnick for ESPN or yeah. Sam Ravage, Carl Ravage's son. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but from there last year, I just a lot of the ESPN 1000 guys, Chris Black, uh, yeah. Adam Abdallah, David Kaplan. And those are all I great started, guys. They're all great guys. Love them. Yeah. I live. I listen to Black and Abdallah. They know me. I tweeted yeah. them all the time. I call in all the time. But uh, uh, there are those guys. Are those guys are a ball of fun? I mean, I really just oh. just to jump in real quick. I you know I no, never I never really because I I obviously have the ESPN 1000 Chicago app on my phone and I yeah. you know I'd always listen to 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 Chris and Adam when they you know would chime in when they were producing the you know the Caps show yeah. or Carmen's right uh, you know Carmen Yurk and Waddle and Sylvie. Uh, but for those guys to have their own show, I think is just awesome. Uh, they appeal to my generation. Uh, they, they appeal yeah, to, the, exactly. to the younger people. And I mean, you know, you're, it's a sports station, but when you got Adam talking about robots and Chris talking about God, <laughs> I, know, Lord, right? I mean, it's, it's some of the most yeah. entertaining radio and you could just be sitting there saying, you know, I could go watch a game. I could go play some video games or I could listen to black and Abdallah. I think I'm going to listen to black and Abdallah, you know, just to be entertained. So uh, yeah, those guys are doing an incredible job. And it's just awesome to see them working their way up the ladder, right? Because, you know, yeah. at one point, those guys, you know, might have not have had, you know, the, the the biggest voices in the room, but they proved their worth. They've done their job behind the scenes, working as a producer on the show and doing all the behind the scenes work. And now they've got their own show. That's awesome to see. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I mentioned them because, like I said, they, I listen to them all the time. They I tweeted them. I called in last night. I tweeted i tweeted them too much yeah. but it's fun they yeah. they they uh have fun with it too but and that's and they and they interact too like like that's the thing exactly. you, you, you get the media yeah. you get the media people some nowadays that just they don't interact with the fans and exactly like that's where you interact with somebody once you might have a fan for life or a, right. a, a lifer in terms of a listener you, you hear the guys on the radio espn 1000 say a p1 yeah you're you're gonna have a lot of those if you can interact and you can humanize yourself because the listeners, the listeners matter as well. The you know the, the the radio personalities they matter, right? Because they're on the airways, they're getting paid to produce it. But when you interact with fans 
and you show them that that you care that truly means means the world and i think that those guys they're they're doing it right and they're killing it for a reason because they're entertaining they're funny they know their stuff and uh they they have a lot of fun and and i just love the blend of sports and pop culture and and yeah exactly. and, and robots as well right so that's what it was it was just the interaction because i didn't expect that i tweeted at chris once did not hit, expect him to respond and i tweeted them too much but they always give it back it's yeah. always fun yeah but yeah it was really cool to uh to have you on and uh i hope you have a good you know i don't want to take up too much of your time no, i hope you good. hope you have a good rest of the night yeah. and a good rest of the hockey season yeah yeah i appreciate it. well thanks a lot man like i said it's a lot a lot of fun anytime you ever need anything you let me know and i'll see what i can do and anytime you want me on again i'd be be more than happy Absolutely. um and uh, just appreciate the time uh, allowing me to tell my story and uh best of luck and uh, we'll definitely keep in touch yeah definitely hope you have a good rest of the night okay you too pal take care